Well, we have a treat this morning. We are going to be, uh, we have Jeffrey Feiger on the line. He's one of the most successful and, quite frankly, controversial attorneys in America. His father was, of course, a well-known labor attorney here in Detroit. Jeff's one of the most uh, uh, respected criminal lawyers and malpractice attorneys, which has celebrated cases as, uh, of course, Jack Avorkian, which we'll be talking about. He had the Scott Amateur case in 1999, that wrongful death, death case against uh, Jenny Jones, and then he uh, represented the young man who was killed and the family who was killed in uh, the Columbine High School uh, massacre. He won the Democratic nomination for governor in Michigan in 1998, and quite frankly, Jeff, you got one of the nicest buildings I like in uh, in Southfield. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. I just want you to know, my dad had a building years ago down the street from your building, and oh man, your your building is just so nice that it, it really takes up a whole city block. I like well, it. it's not one building; it's taken years to do. I've actually uh, purchased about six or seven or eight buildings on Ten Mile, and then donated them to Blightbusters, and they actually are still existing somewhere. They were moved. And they're providing uh, housing uh, in other parts of the Detroit area. Well, I like those buildings, that's for sure. You know, one of the things we want to talk about is, of course, You Don't Know Jack, which is going to be coming out on HBO starring Al Pacino. Tell me about your experience with working in this movie. Did they counsel a lot with you to uh, set up this movie? Um, I guess as much as anybody else, probably more than any of the principal characters, uh, um I was hired as a script consultant, so they, they consulted with me in terms of the script itself. The, the reason they were able to get so many really great and talented actors and directors, Barry Levinson the, won the Academy for Rain Man and was the director, Al Pacino, Susan Sheridan, Brenda Vaccaro, John Goodman, Danny Houston plays me, is because the script it is is just a magnificent work of art, and it stands alone, and that's how they were able to get um, such uh, great people because they don't pay uh, competitively. In other words, HBO doesn't pay what feature films pay, but then again, they don't spare any expenses in terms of the production. It's a beautiful, beautiful... It's made. It, nobody should get the idea it's a made-for-TV movie. It's not. It's a... It's a theatrical production that's being played on HBO. In Europe, it will be played in theaters, and then it'll be released on uh, on DVD. And it's uh, I saw it in completion on Thursday at the premiere in New York. And it's I have to say it's a very very compelling movie. How did you like uh, Danny Houston's portrayal of you? Well, what I, I once said this to some Ben Bradley uh, was asked how he liked. Jason Robart's portrayal of him and all the president's men, and he said, I was great. And I said, I couldn't get away with that, but Danny Houston is, is a very good Jeff Feiger. Well, you know, you're, you're also involved in, uh, in obviously the lawsuit against, uh, the writer in Hurt Locker, a lawsuit on behalf of Master Sergeant Jeffrey Server filed a, Farber, a, Farber, right. Farber filed a, a federal lawsuit. What, what's going on with that? Well, that's pending in the federal court in New Jersey, and that was uh, that's just an out and out as far as I'm con- concerned. In the in the law, we call it appropriation, but it's really uh, stealing someone's identity for profit, and that's exactly what uh, the writer and the producers did in the Hurt Locker. They embedded themselves with uh, Sergeant Sarver's unit. Uh, the screenwriter 
wrote an article for Playboy, anybody who cares to read it would understand if they also saw the movie that they're identical. And the only thing that's different in the movie is that he changes the name of Sergeant Sarver to uh, Will James. But other than that, it's the same person. Do they acknowledge it at all? Do they say no. that, yes, he was involved? Well, no, they've been caught. They, they did. I mean, you can't not... It, it, nobody with any common sense or any uh, intellectual honesty at all could read the Playboy article, which is where the article appeared first in uh, 2005, and then um, not realize that the Hurt Locker is, is, is exactly the same as the article. So they say that for the press, and you know, but this is all stuff. They can never go to trial with that case. I, I'm, I'm not posturing. I'm, I'm just saying I wouldn't have taken that case if, if, if you know, it's not somebody coming out of the woodwork saying, "Well, gee, that sounds like me. I was in Iraq at the same time. I defused bombs." Hmm. That isn't the case here. This is this is the screenwriter. He was with Sarver. He wrote about Sarver. He wrote an article which is identical to the screenplay of the uh, Hurt Locker, and he's the writer of the Hurt Locker. You know, Jeff, but you take on cases like that. I mean, it, let's face it, whether they are controversial or not, I mean, you really have a history of when you see something and you see a wrong. I mean, I, you listen, I've followed your career for years. You take it on, whether it's in Columbine or whether it is something, you know, people can say about Jack of Orkney now, but when you took that on back then, you know, nobody really... A problem. Nobody had the guts to take on the the system like that. I mean that. Well, that's they really were afraid. Most lawyers were afraid. All the lawyers that Jack had gone to, and, and I wasn't the first lawyer he had gone to, was afraid uh, of what it would do to their practice, what the authorities would do to them. I just thought saw it as a civil rights issue. You know, Jack is uh, is quoted as saying, "I always felt my career that everything was a failure." And it may be, Kevorkian said, but I feel successful now because of the freedom I have to do what I want to do, and you helped them do that. Did you guys have yeah, discussions like that? basically, that's sort of what the movie's about. And ultimately, Jack always did engineer his own failures. He could have been a very successful person in a lot of different endeavors. He's very, he's very, very bright. And he kind of... Un- Undermined even his own success in the in 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 the issue he was he was proselytizing by by in the end representing himself. But that's what, I don't want to give away the movie, but that's the movie. Well, I remember the case, but he also and and he still I uh, talks about it. And I wanted to ask you about it when he says when the law is deemed immoral, you must disobey it. And you know, when you have something like a jury nullification... Well, you know, wait a second. He didn't say that. That's what we said at oh. Nuremberg. <laughs> He's just quoting 45 the years ago. The American early. forces and the American judges when we hung the Nazis in Nuremberg said that because that was their defense. They were following the laws. If anybody wants to see that quote, watch Judgment in Nure- at Nuremberg with Maximilian Schell and uh, Burt Lancaster. And, uh, you know... You know, we, we need, and this... This uh, this uh, movie, I'm sure, will depict it. We need lawyers that are always, I guess, uh, capable, but also interested in taking on the system. And I know that you started uh, at Michigan State University the uh, the trial practice uh, institute there. And you know, we have so many lawyers coming out of law school these days. Would you 
What would what advice would you give these young lawyers coming out in terms of what kind of cases to take on? Well, first of all, they don't get a choice. Unfortunately, most young lawyers don't get a choice. They have to get they have to take the cases that come to them or where they work. But I advise all young lawyers that if they're going to law school to make a whole lot of money or if that's their desire in life, then they're in the wrong profession. Um and they won't be happy, and that's true in any profession. Um, and also, um, it, it, it wouldn't hurt young lawyers to go work for the public defender's office. It wouldn't work hurt young lawyers to take criminal appointments. But when I hear these young lawyers competing to go work at these corporate law firms who put them in a box and work on a pyramid scheme so that they, they make these young lawyers work 2,500 hours and uh no trial to support uh, you know the corporations that's disappointing to me and, and frankly most of those young lawyers end up dropping out of the practice they they find it very disappointing plus they don't get any trial experience too for all that hard work they're going to put in there no they don't not they don't get anything they're just uh they're cogs in a wheel well yeah in a wheel i agree with a lot of what you say i don't always agree with everything you say but i agree that uh young lawyers coming out definitely should uh should be careful where they start off with, but it doesn't matter what you make when you're coming out. It's the experience you get, and you always should love what you want, what what you're if doing. If you love what you do, you'll be successful, and that's true. If you're a plumber, if you're a gardener, if you're a uh, garbage collector, if you're a lawyer, if you don't love what you do, you shouldn't be doing it. And unfortunately, most of the people who go to law school, at least from my perspective, just went to law school for the wrong reasons. Well, it's obviously you love what you do. Jeff, thanks for coming back. Hope to have you back. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. The the quote after you talk to someone like Jeff Figer and you look at some movie like this with Jack Kevorkian, it it goes back, and I love Sherlock Holmes. It is one of my favorite uh, uh, favorite type of uh, movies, but definitely Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's books. And it's every man's business to see justice done. And, you know, you look at someone like Jack of Orkian, and you say, when you have such a overtly um, interested party in changing the law, you have someone who is, people could call him a zealot. I mean, you can say that anybody is so uh, taken with giving up their own life or giving up their own freedom in order to make sure that the laws are changed or that people's rights are protected, it gets back to really in a case where anybody would want to break the law because they feel it's right. And the discussion I want to get to is I don't want to get into the issue of is it right, is assisted suicide right? Because, quite frankly, that has been a discussion taking place for the last at least 20 years. And Jack Evorkin, after committing euthanasia, was sentenced to 10 years in prison. He did, what was it, about eight and a half years, and was released, interestingly, by the judge who sentenced him. Now, Jessica Cooper is the Oakland County prosecutor. So I wonder how she would have prosecuted now if it happened, as opposed to being the judge. Probably the exact same way uh, Gorska's office did. But I don't want to get into whether or not you believe in assisted suicide. The issue is, should anybody who they feel that the laws are unjust, 
should they not follow them? Because that's when lawyers get involved and say, hey, listen, you might not like that, but you can't break the law unless you plan on going to prison. And, of course, most people, not only fearful of going to prison or some kind of uh, civil, in this case, criminal penalty, but morally they feel, I can't go against what the laws are of the state. But someone like Kevorkian said, this law is wrong. It's wrong to prevent, to, to prevent me as a doctor to stop and, and help someone uh, to stop their suffering, to stop their suffering. It's wrong, and therefore, I'm not going to follow it, and I want to bring the discussion to a different level. And, you know, Ben, one of the things that we that we talk about here on your rights is when you have rights that are given to you by society, there are things that are statutory rights that are voted on. There are things that are natural rights that are just given. And those are ones that aren't always compatible. You might think that something should be your natural right, but it isn't and can't be taken away. And here you have a situation where... Um, just like St. Aquinas, Aquinas said, an unjust law is no law at all. So if you have a law in the books that you feel is wrong, do you feel you have the right to break it? Like vigilante justice? That's just, it isn't vigilante justice wrong. We should not encourage anybody to have vigilante justice. But isn't that what exactly Kevorkian did? It was vigilante justice. Yeah, to a point. I th- I, th- I think you can definitely say that, but just because you, I mean, it, it just because you disagree with something doesn't mean you have to naturally go out and act just because you disagree with it. Yeah, you know? but I mean, look what happened in the '60s. I mean, you can the civil disobedience of Martin Luther King. Let's face it, the law was wrong. The law the, not protecting blacks' right or not protecting a woman's right, or not protecting any minority right throughout our country's constitutional history, only was changed based on either wars or civil disobedience. And that is exactly what Kevorkian was talking about and did. Now, I personally think he did it the wrong way. I think there are other ways that could have taken shape that he could do it. But he chose at the time... And then ended up spending eight and a half years in prison of an old man's life. Anyway, I think he went in at 71 or something. So we spent a significant amount of time already in prison at the end, or at least I, since he's still alive, I'm sure he doesn't say the end of his life, but it, uh, it is mature part of his life because he took a stand of saying, I believe this is wrong. I believe he did it the wrong way, but that's not what he felt. And the people that fight in the 60s, and fought in the 20s in terms of um, getting women's rights, and fought in the 1800s in order to end slavery. Man, I tell you, I bet they would have, they would have agreed with uh, Kevorkian. Maybe. Uh, I mean, that's all you know. Either here nor there. But... No, I talk to them. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish I had a time machine like you did. That'd you did? be pretty sweet. But you know, when he came out, Kevorkian, back in uh, in uh, February of '09. He did something. I, I just I don't agree with some of the things he does. He actually came out and he lectured to students at Nova uh, Southeastern University in Florida. And listen to this. Over 2,500 students were there and people were there talking about criminal justice. And he had an opportunity after coming out of prison really to talk about all the different issues that he not only um, 
want to discuss with assisted suicide, but what he learned about the criminal justice system within the penal community of being in prison, which, believe me, you don't know until you go into. But what he did was he he wanted to get the thoughts on, on euthanasia. So during the question and answer period, he unveiled an American flag, and where the stars were, it had a swastika. And, of course, everybody went nuts, and he claimed the flag was really just intended to shock and remind everybody that this is where America's headed if we don't make a change. And that, to me, goes too far and clouds your message when you have symbols that you want to uh, you, you want you hold up to make your expression of what you're trying to say, but those symbols themselves become the issue. You lose your your focus of the issue that he wanted, which of course with was euthanasia, and and I'm afraid that's what happens with zealots like that. That the message what they want to bring out, which to me is, don't follow an immoral law, don't. Um, just follow the crowd because your societal, um, uh, your, your statutes today say that you can't do it. Those statutes can be wrong. And I think that was his message, but his way of expressing it totally turned people off. Oh, completely. I mean, it was just definitely going about it the wrong way when you, I mean, even if someone's willing to go the, ultimate mile by saying, you know, eh, you know I, I, I don't feel happy with living anymore. You know, you're, you're doing me kind of like a favor by doing this. But aren't laws usually made for the greater good of the common man? Well, look who laws are made by. I mean, the, 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 uh, there's different types of laws, right? You have laws that are promulgated from the society. The day that you live in, you vote for your legislative body. They're going to go and they're going to, uh, you know, promulgate a bill. They're going to have it voted on. And because you, we have a electorate that puts them in power, they're supposed to put in place the laws that reflect society at that time. We have laws now that are different than what was in the McCarthy era in the 1950s. And we have, we have a different society. We have different acceptable social mores now that our laws are supposed to reflect because we in this day and age voted in legislators that are promulgating laws that reflect what we feel. Well, if those laws don't reflect what we feel anymore, guess what we're supposed to do? Vote in other legislators that are going to put in other laws or stand up to what we believe in and try to get a law on the ballot. You know, they've done that. We talked about it the other day about medical marijuana, right? Medical marijuana. Do you think that had a hope in passing in 1952? Do you think it, it, there's no way that that law could be in place other than today because our society wasn't ready for it? We're not saying that everybody should go smoke marijuana, go get stoned. But what we're saying is that they, at least in Michigan and now 20 other states, especially California, there is an appetite for taking care of people that are not being cared for in other ways medically with a drug that was for, I mean, an untold time not accepted in society. And now are, at least in Michigan, we say, no, 
Now we're accepting it for medical purposes. I'm not saying there aren't detractors to that. Believe me, there are many people sitting in Grand Rapids or people that are, you know, right-wing conservatives that would say, hey, I don't care if there's any benefit. No, be- I don't care if there's lots of benefit from medical marijuana. It is a drug. They're pot smokers. It leads to other kind of drugs. We don't approve of that. And quite frankly, we don't approve of alcohol either because that have destructive tendencies. So therefore, we don't want it. Well, I've never seen anybody treated. And Ben, you tell me if I'm wrong. You ever seen anybody treated for a medical case and by giving them vodka or by giving them some kind of uh, um, alcohol other than swabbing their wound? Or, you know, grandpa's cough syrup? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> No, you know, I, I, I can't say. Well, yeah, it'll put you to sleep. Yeah, sure. I but, guess with that, I guess you can have a sleeping pill with, uh, with alcohol. But, I mean, that really gets back to the, what your question was, which was, I think, a, a, a perfect question for this time. And that is, when should we have specific laws in place and do they reflect society at that time? And I really think that's a clear reason why we have legislatures that change every two years because if we don't like what they do kick their butt out because there's no other way as a representative society that we can change things other than do what Kevorkian did which was basically vigilante justice in his own way whether we're going to talk about these you are welcome to call in the 248-851-1270 uh, this is Scott Weinberg on the law. Have you or a loved one been arrested or charged with a crime? Do you want to stay out of jail and try to keep your record clean? Then you need the attorneys from Weinberg Law at 1-800-7100-LAW. And if you call right now, they can qualify you for a payment plan designed just for you. That's right, an affordable top criminal law firm. Call 1-800-7100-LAW. Stay out of jail, keep your record clean, and qualify for payment plans. Call now, 1-800-710-0529. That's 1-800-7100-LAW.